This is an older gay guy show, and I am your host, Joey Hernandez. I've been a personal trainer for over 30 years, but like you, my life has not yet finished. In fact, my friends, maybe our lives have just begun. Please join me each week as we discuss many topics concerning gay life as we age. Hey, we may be getting older, but we ain't going down without a fight. No, sir, no, sirs. We will not give up without a fight. Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for once again tuning in to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I want to start out today before I get into today's rather interesting, unique topic. And I think you certainly will say that the title of this podcast was very tantalizing and unique. But I want to start out by giving a big, big, huge thank you to Jerry, who is a listener that gave me some very, very wise advice. And I really appreciate that, Jerry. Thank you so much. And also, I want to give a big hello to Aries Boy, who is in Indonesia. And he mentioned that he sends his love to all of the listeners and subscribers. And I thought that was just such a sweet thing to say. Thank you so much, Aries Boy. I appreciate the email that you sent. And please do stay in touch with me as we go along. Folks, I've said this before, but I, I just really feel this. I feel like it's still just so amazing to me that I can be sitting here in my office in Boston and have listeners on the complete other side of the globe. It, it blows my mind sometimes. And I realize just how amazing this podcast platform is and also, of course, the YouTube channel. And I really appreciate that I can get my message out there and around the world. And as I age and as I, well, begin to wind my personal training down, although not yet, I'm not quite ready yet to do that, but to be able to know that I can continue in these formats, it really makes me happy. And to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast and the YouTube channel, Truly, from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know how lucky I feel that I have so many of you on board with me. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. And I hope to be able to continue to be entertaining to you for a long, long time to come. Also, please make use of the email for this podcast, which is an older gay guy show, which is the name of the show. An older gay guy show at gmail.com. As many can attest, I respond to every email, even if it takes me a short while to get back to you. So please feel free to send me any message or just say hello or leave a comment. And I'm still looking for the elusive listeners. I know you're out there somewhere for anyone that would like to be on the podcast as a guest. I'm looking for someone to do that older guys with younger guys in relationships episode specifically. If you're interested, let me know. The way I do it is I would record us via Skype 
and then I'd splice the conversation into the podcast episode. And don't be shy about this. We can do multiple takes. I can edit out anything that we might say that you don't want in there. It's a very comfortable conversation that we'd have. It would just be audio over Skype. So please use the email again, an older gay guy show at gmail.com. Please let me know if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. I always try to have a balance of useful information, but also some stories that I think you might find interesting. And today, I thought I'd give you a little insight into my past as a funeral director and embalmer. You gotta admit, you probably don't know anybody that's ever told you stories about that, so (laughs) I think that you're going to find this interesting. I was amazed at the time that this story happened. And let me also just state, just so you know, this is not a sex story. Okay, so one, two, three... Now, if any of you are still listening after I said it wasn't a sex story, (laughs) we will continue. This is just one of many stories that I have about that really unusual choice I made as a young man to be in a profession that most don't really know much about at all. Try being a gay guy going into a gay bar and telling someone that you're a funeral director and embalmer. It kind of gives them thoughts maybe of Silence of the Lambs or Jeffrey Dahmer or something like that. It really isn't as strange as it may seem, except a few stories. And this is one of those stories. So, my name is Joey Hernandez, and this is The Funeral Surprise, the 27th episode of... An older gay guy show. So I've never had the pleasure of telling you one of my funeral stories. And just to give you a little background on how all of this happened, it was after my parents had died when I was younger that I had been to so many funerals in my family. My grandparents had died when I was really little, and aunts and uncles. My father died when I was 12. My mother died when I was a teenager. And I think I mentioned at one point that I was engaged to a girl when I was younger. And this was after my parents had died and we were living together. And I was trying to figure out what the fuck to do with my life. I had been to the Boston Conservatory of Music. I had studied music for three years And I just didn't want to really continue with that as a profession. I wanted to find something that would work for me, something that I felt like I fit into. And one day, my fiancé and I were out drinking and trying to brainstorm about what kind of profession I should go into. And I talked about, you know, just kind of jokingly, I said, you know, I've been to so many funerals and wakes, I might as well work in that profession, you know? Wouldn't that be great? I could just wear really cool black suits and I could drive big black shiny cars and limousines and 
I could arrange flowers, even though like I had no fucking idea how to arrange flowers. <laughs> it just sounded good. And she said, well, why don't you do that? And I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, well, why not look into it? So I went to the funeral director college here in Boston, which was the New England Institute of Anatomy. And I got a catalog that described the programs and the courses. And so we went out for coffee with the catalog and I'm sitting there and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God, look at this. And one of the courses was restorative art. And that was a course about how to rebuild faces for people that have had accidents and can't be viewed. I know that sounds kind of creepy and weird, but it, it, it was interesting to me. And there were a lot of science courses, chemistry and anatomy and biology and microbiology and then a lot of psychology courses because you would work with counseling with the families so it just sounded like a really cool thing to do so i went and signed up and the way that it works here in massachusetts when you're going to be a funeral director you first become an embalmer and then you become a funeral director and it's a three-year process you go to school for the first 12 months straight through year round and then you do a two-year apprenticeship to get your embalmer's license and then you wait about six months and you take another exam to become a funeral director and then you can then work at funeral homes and actually direct funerals and do everything you have to do so i was in the process of my apprenticeship at the time and I had already done part of my apprenticeship down at a funeral home on Cape Cod here in Massachusetts. And now I had moved back to Boston and I was looking to finish the other year of my apprenticeship. I will tell you in future stories about the experience down at a small funeral home on Cape Cod. But now I had moved back to Boston and since I had lived in a small town for that one year and was pretty lonely, to be honest with you, so when I moved back to Boston, I wanted a different kind of experience. So one of the places that I seemed to fit and they wanted me was this large Jewish funeral home here in a section of Boston, a quite wealthy section of Boston. So I decided that I would go and work for them for this next year and then complete my apprenticeship. But because I wasn't Jewish, I could not move up in the funeral home beyond that one year of apprenticeship. They only promoted people into funeral director positions for people that were actually Jewish because of the interaction with the Orthodox Jewish community in that area and the fact that you would have to know all of these various Jewish prayers and everything. So for the one year apprenticeship, what my job was going to be was going and picking up the bodies from either people's homes if the person died in the home or to a hospital's morgue and retrieve it there bring the body back then assist in the embalming process if the body was going to be embalmed however it being a jewish funeral home and a lot of the people being orthodox jewish there was very few bodies that were actually embalmed and that was totally fine with me. I've never been one to really like the embalming process, but someday I will tell you about that as well.
And then additionally to my job, what I would do is I would work the funerals, which would be to work out in the parking lot, helping park cars in the right order so that it can be part of the funeral procession that goes to the cemetery. I would drive either the hearse or the limousines. I would help the cemetery workers with the grave, various duties like that. So this one particular time, we were having the funeral of a Jewish tailor that actually had his shop just a couple doors down from the funeral home. And I had stopped in there and dropped clothes off before and met him, and I met his wife. They were both extremely nice people, and they were extremely well-known in the community because this tailor and his wife had been in that same location for about 30 years. Um, at the time of this story, it's 1981, and I know he had opened his shop just at the very beginning of the 1950s. So he was so well known that practically the entire community turned out for his funeral. It completely filled up the funeral chapel that we had attached to the funeral home. And one of the odd things that we had thought about on this day was that his wife did not come to the funeral. And we thought that was, you know, kind of weird, <laughs> you know, <laughs> They had been together all these years, and he had had the sh they had had the shop together for 30 years, and, you know, she wasn't at the funeral. <laughs> it was very strange. And so we just kind of thought, well, once in a great while, there will be a couple that were so close that when one of them dies, the other one is just too upset, too overcome with grief to attend the funeral. So... It was a little strange, but we just kind of put it down to that and figured, you know, we knew they were so close. They had been together all these years. They had had the shop together for 30 years. They were just really close. So no big deal. So I'm outside, me and my buddy, who was also an apprentice, we were outside and we were helping park the, the cars, these big honking Cadillacs and, and Mercedes and oh, BMWs. It was a just the cars were incredible to even begin with. But we're, we're parking them in the parking lot, so they're in the right order. It was a really hot summer day, and we were wearing these black suits, and it was a Jewish funeral home, so we had yarmulkes on, and the sweat was just pouring down my face. All I wanted to do was to get inside where the air conditioning was. So we're just about done, and I keep thinking, oh, good, I'll, I'll get to cool off in just a few minutes. And this car pulls up to the curb, kind of blocking the entrance into the parking lot. And so we say to each other, you know, okay, one of us has got to go over and tell them to either pull forward or come into the parking lot. You know, they're blocking it. And before we get a chance to do that, as we look at the car, these three guys get out of the car and... It's like a scene from, like, Men in Black. <laughs> Three guys get out, dressed in black suits with black sunglasses on, all matching. And they start to walk towards us. And the first guy comes up and talks to me. Another one goes over and talks to my buddy. And the third one's just kind of standing there with his 
hands crossed and just waiting for the uh, two guys to talk to us. So a guy, the guy comes up to me and he says, um, we're looking for the, for people that might have worked with whatever the gentleman's name was when his body was brought in. And so I said to him, well, actually, sir, myself and my friend over there talking to the other gentleman were the ones that did the removal of the body. And removal of the body means when you go and pick the body up and bring it back to the funeral home. And I said, but the service is right about to begin, and you would have to get authorization from the funeral director in the funeral home in order for us to talk to you about this. I mean, you know, it's, it's private business. And the man reaches into his pocket and he pulls out an ID that says FBI. And he said, no, we don't have to go inside. We have the government's authorization that you should talk to us. So I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> First thing that comes to my mind is, shit, do I have any weed in my car? Oh, fuck. <laughs> but fortunately, <laughs> that had nothing to do with it. So... Sure enough, the other guy must have said the same thing to my buddy David. And so he and I walked back, and the driver was still sitting in the car. The car was running. So the guy that had just been standing there with his hands clasped while the other two guys talked to us, he was standing now on the sidewalk with the car behind him. He's facing the funeral home, so it's, it's kind of blocking the view of the funeral home to the car. and one of the guys gets into the passenger's seat, front seat. The other guy that had been talking to us opened the back door of the car and kind of indicated, get in. So my buddy David got in and slid all the way over, so he's now seated behind the driver. And I go to get in, and the guy said, no, wait, I'll get in next. And so he gets into the car next. And the guy that's standing on the sidewalk with his hands clasped indicates to me, go ahead and get into the car. And so I do, and he closes the door. So now we've got two guys in the front seat, right? Dark suits, sunglasses deal. And my buddy David and I are in the back seat, but we've got the other government FBI guy seated in the middle between us. And the car pulls away from the curb leaving the guy with his hands clasped still standing there on the sidewalk. And so we're starting to pull away, and at first nobody is saying anything. And I turned to the guy who was seated in the middle and said, you know, we're going to get in trouble because we're supposed to be back there parking cars. And, you know, believe me, the owners will go, go batshit crazy if we're not back there. And... The FBI guy's like, don't worry, we will explain it all. We need to talk to you at this time. So they start driving around, and we're driving for another minute or so, and the guy in the front passenger seat turns back, and he's the one that starts talking to us. And he says, so you said that you went and got the body, and I was the one speaking. My friend David was like, like, I could see, like, this terror in his eyes, like, what the fuck? Oh, my God, what the fuck is going on? 
So I said, uh, yes, we went to such and such hospital and we got the body last night. And he said, and what time was that? And I said, it was um, whatever it was, like seven or eight o'clock in the evening. And then the FBI guy in between the two of us turns to me because David ain't saying a word and says, do you know what time he died? And I said, actually, I do. <laughs> and the reason I knew it was based on the death certificate because we had been trained there that whether they were Orthodox or Reform Jewish, we always kind of erred on the side of caution, and therefore we always went with procedures based on if the person was Orthodox. And if you're Orthodox Jewish, you had to be buried as quickly as possible, and therefore we always want to know if the person had died within the last 24 hours or if it had been longer. And I said, based on the death certificate that I picked up when I got the body, he died and it was like one or two o'clock in the morning. So it was like six hours or so before we went and got the body. And the guy said, well, do you know if the body left the hospital between the time the death certificate was written and when you went and got the body. And it had been like six or seven hours. And I thought, well, we have absolutely no way of knowing that. You know, we only went and got the body when we got the call from the hospital that the body was ready to be picked up. And we were told that from a call from the family. So, then the guy in the front seat says, well, is Mrs. So-and-so in the chapel right now? And I said, well, no, she didn't actually come to the funeral today. Well, do you know why she didn't attend? Or did you have any notice? Did they call the funeral home? And I'm like, no. I, I said, we don't know that. You might be able to ask the funeral directors about that. I said, but, you know, Again, it's not too unusual for a couple that was close like they were for one of them to be just too much to come to the funeral. You know, they were in, in their grief process and it was just overcome and they didn't attend the funeral. So they're circling around the block, right, as they're talking to us. So my buddy David is still just like sitting there, like completely silent with his eyes, like bugging out of his head, like, oh my God, you know, and I, I'm, I periodically glance at him kind of like, you want to jump in here and help me a little bit? But he's just sitting there. And so, of course, me with my big mouth, and I always seem to be the one that ends up talking, right? Thank God I have a podcast. And... So the guy says then, um, well, when you brought the body back, did you see the body? Did you see the body undressed? And I said, well, yes. As a matter of fact, yes. We, the process we do is we bring the body back in the stretcher and we bring it down into the embalming room and we put the body on the table, take, remove any clothing that the body has, and then cover the body up to the neck with a sheet. And then either the body would be embalmed by an embalmer or there's this society that comes in that works with orthodox bodies and they go through this 
um, little ceremony of prayer and washing of the body. And I said, so we always, you know, take the clothes off the person, just kind of give them a little rinse down to make them a little cleaner, and then we cover them with a sheet. And he said, so was it you two that did that? And I said, yeah, yeah, David and I both worked with the body, and then the body wasn't being embalmed, so we were just leaving it there for the day until someone worked with the family, and that's when they pick out the casket and all of that crap. So he said, well, when you undressed the body, did you notice any markings on him? And I said, no, not that I recall. And he turns to David, <laughs> and David just kind of like shakes his head, no. No words come out of his mouth, right? <laughs> no help whatsoever. So I said, you know, I, I didn't notice anything that I can recall. And he said, well, what do you do with the arms after the body's washed when the sheet goes over? And I said, well, just because rigor mortis sets in at a certain point, we tend to cross the arms and link the hands over their stomach so that that body is in that position so that if rigor mortis comes in, it's not a, a lot of trouble to get the body into position when it's going to be dressed and into the casket. And he said, did you notice any markings on the arms? And I'm like, no, not that I remember. And he said, nothing on the forearm or the wrist. And I said, no, not that I can remember. And David's just still sitting there shaking his head. So then the dude asked me any dressings or bandages or marks from hospital equipment when we picked up the body. And I said, well, yes, there was a bandage on his chest. And I know that because I had to remove that when we washed the body. And the guy asked me, well, what did you see when you did that? And I said, well, there was just like a slit there. And obviously it had been bleeding or something. That's why they might have put the dressing on it. But we were able to remove it when we washed the body. And <laughs> then the guy says, did you know Mr. whatever his name was, was murdered? And then, and then David, who's been silent the whole time, goes, no. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, that's helpful. Thank you. And so, like I said to the guy, no, we didn't know that. And like, they're just about pulling back up to the funeral home now. And he said, yeah, um, he had been found murdered in the Blue Hills, which is an area just south of Boston. And I said, wow, we didn't know that. I said, like, how did that happen? And the man's like, um, well, you'll, you'll eventually hear. And so they had pulled up to the funeral home and he said, you can get out now. The other agent has already talked and spoken with the funeral directors. And so you can just go about your business. And he lets us out of the car. And so... <laughs> The funeral has already started because we were out like 15, 20 minutes or so. So we walk in and like the funeral directors are standing around because it was a big funeral. So there was several funeral directors working it. And they're just all like not looking at us. They're like looking down at the floor or they're looking over at the family. Like they wouldn't make eye contact with us. And so David and I 
participate in the funeral, right? We do the whole ceremony thing. We take the body to the cemetery. We bury the body, right? And then we get back to the funeral home and the funeral directors aren't there at that time because I guess, I guess it was kind of late in the day. So I'm pretty sure we had finished for the day and they had just all gone home. So it was just like the desk workers and stuff. So we didn't want to say anything to those people. They were women. We didn't know if they knew anything about it. So like we didn't say anything, but we left there and Dave and I went for drinks across the street at this Chinese restaurant. And the whole time we're like talking about it. Like, what do you think happened? How could he be killed? Do you think his wife killed him? Do you think someone killed his wife and him? Like, what do you think happened? <laughs> so the next day we go in. And one of the funeral directors that owns the funeral home, his name was Manny, he was working in the office in the front. And David and I walk in. <laughs> and David, again, his normal quietness. And I say, man, Manny, you gotta tell us what the hell that was about. He was killed. He was murdered. And Manny said, close the door. <laughs> so we close the door. He said, sit down. We sat down and he's like, yeah, it seems that, um, Mr. Whatever, um, and his wife weren't tailors. And Dave and I kind of glanced at each other and I said, well, what do you mean? They weren't tailors. They, they ran that shop for all these years. Everybody knew them. That's why everybody came to the funeral and, 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 Manny's saying, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's been a tailor, but he's not the original tailor. And so I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, it seems that nice little Mr. So-and-so and his nice little wife weren't actually Jewish tailors. They had been Nazis in Nazi Germany and they had killed the original couple and they took their name and they came to the United States and lived here all these years under their name. And then like David finally starts talking and he says something like, oh, right. Like they didn't have any children and they didn't have any other relatives that came to the funeral. It was all just people in the community. And the funeral director is like, yeah, right. And he said, and what happened was a Nazi hunter found out, stalked him, and killed him, stabbed him in the chest, and killed him in the Blue Hills. And I'm like, whoa, wow. And so I said, and Mrs. whatever. And he's like, she's disappeared. <laughs> They're looking for her. They're looking for her. The FBI's looking for her. And probably the Nazi hunter is going to look for her too. And we're like, wow. And David's like, he turned to me. He's like, that's why they asked us about marks on the body. And he said, oh yeah, the, 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 the chest wound that had been covered, that knife, that slip was a knife mark. And the funeral director said, yeah, but they were also asking you about marks on the body before his death. And 
so like we're sitting there like what do, well what's that all about and manny says well they had been in a concentration camp in germany that was known so they would have had numbers on them from having been in the concentration camp if they had actually managed to escape and get out and come to the united states for safety he said that's why they didn't have any marks on them because the real couple was killed and they these nazi this nazi officer and his wife came to the united states posing as them and settled down here and ran their little business nice as can be and just tried to forget it all he said but there are people that are not going to forget it and they're going to look for these people and track them down and he said that's what happened and so his wife well who knows she might turn up dead she might turn up alive who knows and actually we never did hear anything about the wife she was gone there was no information about that but that was like one of the most unusual things that ever happened as a funeral director that's why i know these details so well i've told this story so many times like starting like the next week from when it happened i was telling people like you wouldn't believe this and so yeah really strange i have other interesting bizarre things that happened as a funeral director i will eventually tell you i'm sure but that story was just a little taste of some of the interesting things that can happen when you're working in that business after doing it for five or six years i just had to get out i just couldn't handle it anymore emotionally and um so i i got out and i had started my personal training business by then so i just continued with that once i permanently moved back here to boston and uh finished with the cape i went back to the cape after working for the jewish funeral home and i'll tell you that story another time meanwhile hope you enjoyed that yay a nazi story that's wonderful can't do better than a good Nazi story. Thank you so much for joining me. I will be back soon. Please subscribe to the podcast if you like this. Please check out the back catalog and listen to previous episodes. You'll find all kinds of different things around. This is Joey Hernandez. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.